What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vein Podcast. Today, we got Alex Skelly on of Deer Development, and we're going to be talking how to kill bucks from spring scouting. All right, so how we're, how you guys can spend time right now in the spring in March, April, and May, and how you can use that to be more, much more effective and even like extremely precise and effective um, in the fall. Before we get to that, though, in, in an effort to become a whiskey snob, I am starting a new bottle. So uh, last week, we were two weeks ago, I started a Driftless Glen bottle. Um, I was very happy with that. Uh, it's made out of Baraboo, Wisconsin, um, 40% alcohol, about 35 to 40 bucks a bottle, somewhere in that range. I saw one place had it for 45. I thought that was a little overpriced, but it is a great like mid-tier bourbon for that for that range. So like, if you're looking at them on the shelf and you're like, do I go with like a maker's mark or a four roses or a driftless Glen? I would go with the driftless Glen over like a maker's mark, um, a four roses, certainly over a Jack Daniels or some of that caliber for that, like $30 bottle price range. This week I am tackling a much higher price range in angels envy. So angels envy has been recommended to me by a few different people. Um, it's a great, it's a Kentucky straight bourbon and it's finished in port wine barrels, which really piqued my interest. I had a few friends tell me this is an awesome one. So gonna give it a try. I just tried my first sip, pretty, pretty smooth, pretty clean. Um, the thing about this bottle though, like a cheap cost on this bottle is 55 bucks a bottle. And you're probably gonna find it between somewhere somewhere between 60 and 70 bucks a bottle. So um, it's got a cool, it's cool bottle and everything. I have no, and like I said, I took my first sip of it. It is pretty, pretty tame. Um, like you get a good whiskey flavor, no burn or a little mild burn at the end, but a lot of good flavor in there. I didn't taste any of the port wine at first, but, uh, but anyway, that, yeah, it's just interesting. Um, and if you don't care about the whiskey stuff, I apologize. It's something that I like doing, something that I like trying and just drinking it straight and giving it a shot. So with that, we will catch up on how that bottle went or goes in the next couple of weeks. When I finish it, I will give a recommendation on that, whether I like it or not. Still, the reigning champ is Old Elk. If you are looking up for a phenomenal bottle as a gift to a father-in-law, to a buddy, as a wedding present to yourself or I don't know, reaching some goal in your life or something like that. If you can find a bottle of old elk, it is still the reigning champ. Um, I have that one above most other bottles that I all other bottles that I have here. Um, and that old elk is roughly like 60 bucks a bottle. So it's not cheap. Something you want to drink sparingly and celebrate with. All right. With that, Alex, thank you for joining. Appreciate you hopping on tonight, man. Yeah, man. Sure thing. I, I also appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've been talking back and forth, trying to get on a podcast together and Alex killed three great bucks last year. Um, one really funky looking one. If you want to check him out, it's deer underscore development on Instagram. Um, so he's got three great bucks. The first one he killed on a piece of private ground uh, that he's been working on for years and years and years. And then the other two, he killed on pieces of public ground. And today we are going to recount how he was able to kill his second buck, which if I'm looking at this, right, he's a pretty, pretty solid eight point, right? 
Yeah, yeah, he net exactly right at Pope and Young, one twenty-five. No, nice. so, I mean, yeah, it was as good as I could hope for a one-day freelance hanging on. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So, so we're gonna talk about how Alex was able to kill that buck on a piece of public ground that he scouted in the spring, came back to in the fall, and was able to kill on. Um, so that's that's the topic of today's podcast, and. Really, like I said, right in the beginning, the spring scouting, if there's one thing that's changed how I am able to find and see more deer during season than anything else that I've ever done, more important than, than like, you know, spraying down with dead downwind, more important than having a good tree stand, more important than having just a lot of time out in the woods. Spring scouting has been vital to the my ability to see more deer in the woods and understand the ground that I'm hunting a lot more because you get in there in the fall especially early season in September there's so much green up it's hard to tell what the heck is going on anywhere and you might be missing that deer by 30 or 40 yards and you'd never even know you know um but when you're when you're in there right now in March April May before green up occurs like everything's out there for you you just got to mm-hmm. go look for it and you got to put together the pieces. And this is the easiest time right now is to get out and find those pieces, especially right after the snow melt, you get out there, go look around for trails, go look around for sheds, look around for all the things that you're after that we're going to talk about today, do some Turkey scouting, you know, whatever, but it's a great time to get out. So with that, uh, did I do, did I do you justice Alex on the intro? Yeah, yeah, you crushed it, man. I gave me an A. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Thank you. So that's some practice. <laughs> uh yeah, you do these, do these a few times, right? This is what You're I do right. for work too, anyway. So I do do intros and trainings and demonstrations, and I just talk a lot. So I apologize for my voice right there. You guys just heard my voice crack. I've been talking for almost the last three days, like straight. I onboarded uh I have a guy who I'm, who we've hired at our company and I'm in charge of his training. So literally like from 7.30 AM to 4 PM, I'm just talking to him, talking uh-huh. to him and, and answering questions and stuff like that. So apologize right. for the voice, but yeah, Alex, let's get into this. So tell, to, we talked about this a little bit beforehand, but tell a little bit um, about this buck and did you spring scout? Did you not spring scout? Obviously you did what you did. And let's go through how spring scouting led you to killing this deer in, in, in the season. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was crucial. I would have, this would have never played out the way it did had I not used this one day of spring scouting Um, back in, I, I scouted this public piece in March of 2021 and kind of starting from the beginning I decipher things and I usually always transition to this. Like people like to, people like to show off sheds. If you can find a giant shed and, you know, share that on social media, that that's how your day played out. That's awesome and all, but I just, I, I get, I, I come in with that intention a little bit in the beginning of my spring scouting every spring. And after like a mile of walking and I haven't seen anything, I just like, I, I resort to my scouting as I intended on doing. And I guess I would just say sheds are a bonus, but really I, I, I don't have a whole lot of sheds to show for it, but you know, 
I guess it's a nice added bonus when it does come to that. So I'd I, rather I'd I'd rather take a mount over a shed. Mm-hmm. You and I right. both, man. I'd <laughs> I'd rather find those sheds on the top of his head. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Still attached. No, yeah. I sheds are man. Shed hunting so hard. It's so hit or miss. Like if you got a property that holds deer in the mm-hmm. late season and in January and February, then you're in the money. If you don't like needle in a haystack, man. Yeah. So the, you know, the one thing I'll say about that deciphering the two, if I do have the intention, if I'm going into area um, and I really want to find a shed, the only thing that I'm starting with differently is that I'm going to drive around in the evening or, you know, a day or two before in the evening and try to pinpoint where the deer herded up at that time. And, you know, go, go to that field, wherever you find them or however you find them, try to try to really narrow it in if you can beforehand. Otherwise, because I've seen places, man, that are that are just packed full of deer in November and even some of December, according to my cameras. But then I go in there in January, February, and it's a ghost town. So I, I guess the the one thing I would say that I've had luck with is driving around to find where the deer herded up before I really spend a day trying to find a shed. But anyways, yeah. in, in this situation, I'll tell you, it wasn't I didn't have any intention like that. I was scouting this because um and all of this is more in relation to hill country because that's that's where I, I think I can be the most efficient with my time and efforts to find the, the greatest success, uh, definitely in the recent years for sure. But how this worked was I map scout, man, like it's an Olympic sport <laughs> and, and right. I, endless hours. I think you can just save yourself so much time in the long run by diligently looking through maps and what i'll end up doing is if this is a hypothetically a couple thousand acre piece i'll pin out five or six spots that are real points of interest on this whether it's uh, a pinch point or bed like a bedding knob or a nice pocket you know where you'd expect the deer to drop down to you know some some sort of topographical topography feature that that's unique to the rest and uh then you know you're you're only you're giving yourself points of interest like I said but from there I go to the extent of um I'll map out the fastest way I can check them all because Mm. if I if it doesn't look good on this piece and I can run through it as quick as I can well then I I'm able to go to something where I hunt where I shot this buck and in Minnesota down South, there's a lot of public. So I'll move around if I'm not finding it where I need to find it. And I'm still talking in the spring, you know, but so I map this out to where I have six or seven real key points on this public piece. Can we, can we pause there for a second? Yeah. What, What is a key point to you? Like, I know you mentioned them, you mentioned them briefly, but like, let's let's tackle that a little bit more like how can somebody who doesn't know what those are what what can you tell them to kind of look for as their map scouting Mm -hmm. well to to the reference of being in hill country i'm looking at the hybrid layers actually no i i'll use look at just the topo layer you a lot of the times if i'm looking at like big scale if i'm zoomed a ways out on my map i'll look at just just at the topo features. And when I start to find a topo feature, whether it's a, 
you you understand what a saddle is or it's it's a low point between i understand you do but it's a point between um you know uh point a and point b there's a big low spot in the middle there i i find i've had luck and uh my buddy as well on a piece that was just a saddle uh points uh narrow like secondary shelves have been really good to me and those are pretty hard to find like looking on a map um, you're looking at the topography of the how close the lines are to indicate how quick the hill drops off. And if you can if you can definitively see a space in between one of them where it's lengthened out and then it drops back down quick again, I'm looking for those secondary shelves. I've had a lot of luck with that. Um, it's it's really relatable if if somebody thinks about because um, I used to I grew up in northern Minnesota and I used to do a lot of fishing and I would you know think about it like freelance fishing, go around to these key points of the lake. You're going around, think of it kind of in the same fashion. Yeah. You're, you're looking for this, for this structure that is unique to the rest, not like a monoculture or not like a, you know, a long area of, of no change when we're talking about hill country, you know, and that can be, there's exceptions to that for sure, because maybe you get there and that long bottom of nothing is full of really thick, good looking cover. Well then, you know, that changes the plan, but originally it's to the point of figuring out um, where you want to start according to the, to the topography, like the Hills, the elevation changes and that sort of thing. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And, and that's something that I've heard a little bit that I also like key in on, but I've heard from other other hill country hunters is, you know, if, if you have a hill and let's just say, you know, when you're looking at the topographic lines, there's 15 lines going from the top to the bottom and they're all spaced out just as a, as a rough number, they're all spaced out two inches, but then all of a sudden between one, one, between two of those lines, it's spaced out like five or six inches. That's Mm -hmm. like that shelf. That's like that Mm -hmm. flat spot. That's not so steep that the deer will like to use. And that's that breakup. So like mm-hmm. consistency in cover and consistency in topography is not that good. That's not what you want to key in on for deer hunting. You want to find those changes, those like, and people say this all the time, but deer are creatures of the edge. So you mm-hmm. want to find those, those differences where, where two types of terrain meet, or there's a unique area. That's like, like we said, like where it, uh, where it flattens out on a hillside kind of, and you get like that shelf or that saddle type scenario where it's easier for those deer to cross through, or it's easier for them to, to lay up on or bet on or whatever. It's just a little bit different and it provides enough difference for them to like it. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to, to add that to that. So yeah, no, that's, you nailed it. Okay. Fantastic. So t- topographic, you're looking at topography first then are you doing vegetation as well or no, or what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. So from there, because thinking about it this way, I, I give more weight to the topography of the land usually than, than the actual, than, you know, the, the trees and whatever is actually there. Once I, you know, do the boots on the ground, because once I find the topography, then I switch to the hybrid layer of the map. So they're overlaid together. And at that point, I do definitely like judge one better than the other based upon if you can see like three transitions coming together of 
different colorations of trees or stuff like that you know you can tell a field to a to a tree row and that sort but mm -hmm. yeah from there i will look at the hybrid to narrow down kind of um the the best option for me to start or where i think i'm gonna you know the most likely place i'll run into the deer or the sign in gotcha. the spring okay awesome all right so kind of keying in on those those points of interest um topographically double kind of double checking them or, or quality checking them against the vegetation and then from there go into what about what's like if you mark a point on a topographic view and then you flip to hybrid and there's something there like is there any reason why you'd ever like pull that point off and be like okay that's no longer a point of interest yeah for for sure and there's there's a lot of that because if you really zoom in and i going back to more detail of the map scouting because i think it's really it does i do a ton of it man it's stuff you can do from home and you can you can really if you if you you know hone your skills on it you can save yourself a lot of time and effort and uh what i do is i look at google earth not onyx maps or whatever you know your third-party map site is you're not in my opinion you're not going to find a more accurate map than that or sorry actually google earth you know yeah. but comparing that to like your onyx if you i've because i've held them side by side it, the onyx looks like a cartoon you know compared to having your your google <laughs> <laughs> it, compared to having google earth so i i zoom in on that and i'm looking for like some of these ridge tops left four wheeler trails going right down the center of them or uh big open crp fields that were cut and you know they didn't they haven't come to a point of you know like significant cover or anything sure if it was an overgrown pasture i mean i'd be good with that but a lot of it's just like a monoculture of dead grass on top and at that point i, I just go on to the next i'm looking for sure ideally no you know a ways away from the access trails and whatnot and still you know ideally being covered in trees to, to, okay. to the the most that i can tell yeah providing a lot of cover yeah side note do you know how like all these third-party mapping tools get their satellite images have you ever heard that i have not no so i talked to one guy about that um carta maps they have um they have aerial imagery they have awesome maps kind of like huntera um i like their maps a little bit more they're super nice uh spencer's an awesome dude to work with and uh in their maps are a lot less expensive and they are pretty pretty awesome i like them um so shout out to carta maps there but i was talking to him and he and i this was a conversation from a couple years ago so so don't quote me entirely on this but this is the gist of it is that you can go out and purchase like a subscription to Google or there's like four or five satellite companies that will produce satellite imagery like this. And you can go out and purchase a subscription to them. And based on what you want to purchase, that's the, that's the quality of the imagery you get. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, right. <laughs> right? Of exactly. So yeah. like Google will, will go scan the earth. Right. And, and they'll come back and they'll be like, all right, you want tier one high-end quality every single year. We'll automatically push an update to your platform. It's going to cost you, well, I don't know, $300,000 a year, you mm -hmm. know, 
And then there's all that. Then, okay, if you just want like pretty good, but not all the way best, and you can just buy this one off, it's going to cost you 150 grand. And then you can update whenever you want, or you can, you know, upgrade every year, or you can pick like, you know, there's all these different layers of, yeah. of information that you can purchase and whether or not you want to buy a subscription or you just want to buy the one off. And, mm -hmm. and I don't know exactly what Onyx or anybody else purchases and who they purchase from. Cause I know Carta does not purchase, or at least as, as we talked, I'm fairly certain Carta does not purchase from Google. They purchase from somebody else. So they have different satellites, different quality satellites, you know, and, and the satellites spend their time in different areas, gathering more data. So like some of these satellites are more, they have more data on the U S because they spend more time over the U S than they do other areas of the world because no one else pays for it. Right. Why are you going to spend time looking at the Sahara desert if no one's paying for it? Right. Mm -hmm. Let's spend time where people are buying this stuff. So it's a really, it's a, it's a super unique, like uh, market to be in, right. Uh, and to try to purchase that, like, yeah, I got these satellites floating around up there. I make them spend more time over the U S we get more data, we get more analyzed and we get to charge more money for it. Um, it's just, it's crazy to think that. So anyway, that's just like, a, no, no, that is, that's, that's very interesting. Actually though, they got a nice little niche business going on there. Right. But how much does a satellite cost? Like what's the You're cost right. of goods on that one? <laughs> like, uh, right. you know, like mm -hmm. that's the hard part. And how do you get a permit to, to send satellites up there? I don't know. Apparently like Elon Musk is just like, I don't know. I just bought them and got a permit and sent them up there. Like what else? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it seems a lot simpler than it really is. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, yeah. um, that's just a, a side note. Okay. So you get, so you, you mark all your topography, double check it against the vegetation and the vegetation layers and, and trails and CRP and egg fields and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. And then from there, erase all the ones that don't look good. And then you have, you're left with, let's just say, you know, seven points. And then you're like, all right, cool. Based on those seven points, here's a, a route I can take through the property that mm -hmm. will allow me to connect all those seven points and I can be very intentional with my time out there. Exactly. I'm going directly point to point to point to point. And I, I, I absolutely get sidetracked sometimes once you're actually there, you know, boots on the ground and you run into a real thick patch in a, in a, a place that it makes sense. You, you got to slow down and get a little sidetracked there. But mm -hmm. um, most of the time I'm able to go right where I'm going, you know? Okay. Got it. So. All right. So with this buck that you killed, um, you spent one day scouting, which is ridiculous. That's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but, and that's not an expectation anybody else should have. <laughs> Let's just <laughs> let go. Yeah, myself included. Yeah. Don't <laughs> expect that to be the case. All right, right. So, so you got out there and is this how you, you scouted this buck? You dropped a bunch of points and then you went point to point to point. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. what I did. How, like by saying one day, is that like four hours? Is that two hours? Is that 10 hours? Like what's a, what's a day for you? De depends the area I'm at, like the location I'm actually hunting, because for example, up in Northern Minnesota, man, it's vast, endless forest. And you could, you could scout realistic transitions and stuff for miles and miles and spend the whole day there. But when we're talking about down in the hills, uh, I like to break it up. I can, 
I can scout roughly a couple, I would say a thousand, 2000 acres I can go through and, you know, it's not all squared out. It's kind of ravines and it's, you know, uh, it's not all created equal, but roughly say 2000 acres, I can come up with six or seven key points that I want to look at. So six or seven pins in 2000 and then do that in like a long, and I'll elaborate more, but along with, you know, trimming out a few sets or tying nowadays, tying back a few sets, um, for the season to come and, and going through my process, uh, I can get through like two of those in a day. If I went right away in the morning till the evening, you know, till dark. So six hours and six hours. Scout. Okay. Thousand two, two different two thousand yeah. pieces. Yeah. So you're yeah. scooting. You're moving quick. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a lot of ground to cover. Um yeah. so okay. So with that, I mean, so you said you do get sidetracked out there because that's like for me, that's like ADD. Like I'll be like, Yeah, I'm going a mile back to this spot going west, and I'll get there and I'll be like, Okay, I'm going east a mile, and I'll be in the totally opposite area like some days. Um, and so I, I get tracked, but that's one thing that yeah. I, I really need to get better at is being very intentional. Like mm-hmm. I am here to go look at this 30 acre patch and figure out if this is good or not, you know, mm-hmm. like put my blinders on and go. Um, and then, yeah. but for, so for, for covering ground like this, um, one of the things I, I would, I would have like anxiety, not a, I shouldn't say anxiety, but I would say that I would be cautious of, or, or scared of is that I'm missing, I'm missing a lot. If I'm covering ground that fast, do you, do you ever have that? Or are you just like, no, I'm, I'm pretty confident in what I'm looking at, that these are going to be the best spots. Uh, yeah, I'm just going with my odds there because that I'm sure that happens a lot. Like you know, you can never guarantee you're going to the very best points, but I'm going to, like I said, the highest points of interest. Like I probably am walking by some stuff, but I have the most faith in what I already, you know, studied myself from an aerial view. And yeah, I guess I just, I just put all my eggs in that basket, but it's, yeah, it's been pretty fruitful. Awesome. No. And that's, that's good. Cause you know, like the, the thing that I've, that I've come to realize with, with hunting is, is it's a lot of it's about odds. Like you're never going to be a hundred, hundred percent chance, mm-hmm. right? Oh, it's yeah. just like, can I get to like, a, if you're at a 50% chance, you're doing really freaking good. Like if mm-hmm. there's a 50% chance that that deer is going to come by tonight, like that's good odds. Um, yeah. But the, and, the one this year was, uh, was three bucks and 11 sits. And I just don't think I'll ever, I don't, that, that was a banner year, I guess yeah. I'm saying, but still, I, but I don't, I don't know that I'll ever get better than that. I, I, I agree. But how many sits did you put in last year and you didn't kill one or did you kill one right at the end? Yeah, I got do it good. It's a good example that turned out fortunate for myself, but for example, 2020 was uh 48 sits, my 48th sit on uh the 19th of November, I finally killed a good one, but yeah. And that yeah. was the only one I got was that one buck and yeah, 48 deep into it, you know, <laughs> exactly. And you know, like, like you go yep. from a, you go from a year where you put in 48 sets times that by like an average of three hours a sit, you're looking at 150 hours in the wood. That's almost four weeks 
you know, of work, mm-hmm. like of, of a regular nine to five schedule. That's almost four weeks. Okay. And you flip that around and you do 11 sits at three hours a sit. And all of a sudden you're at 33 hours and you've killed three bucks. Mm-hmm. Like that's like you said, like that's a banger year. And the year before was just like a crummy year. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you got to put in the effort and it's yeah. not like, yeah, go ahead. I think so long as I, so long as I punch that tag, I'm, I'm good with, I, if I get them on the first day or the 48th day, I'm, I'm honest, <laughs> as long as, right. as long as it ends in the result that I'm looking for, it's, I'm good with it. Yeah. Well, yeah, of, of course, but I'm just, I want to make, I want to make sure that it's not like, um, we're not saying that you are, that you're this like perfect guy that goes out and you scout once and then you go sit once and you kill once. Like that's not, Absolutely. That's not real because the year before you put in so much time and effort Mm -hmm. for, you know, relatively very little like uh, reward compared to this year where you put in a lot less time and you got more reward. The ratio. Yeah. The ratio. ratio And and I, you know, I would think so anyway, back to the, the odds thing that I was getting at is like, you know, you might be walking past stuff. But the, the, the key points of interest, maybe you throw them at like 15 or 20% odds and you might be walking past stuff like that's like five to 10% odds. Like it looks good and it could be good, but it's not as good of odds as these other spots. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, that's that, that's that, that focus that you have to have. Cause everybody has limited time. Nobody mm-hmm. has unlimited time to hunt as much as they want when they want, where they, I shouldn't say nobody, most people do not. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so putting for the limited time that most of us have, you can't waste time on a five to 10% spot when there's a 20% spot down the road. And that's, that's where I think like from those key points of interest, based on your, your history and your knowledge and your experience, you're looking at, okay, these are my highest odd spots. Like, these are what I got to go check. Like this stuff could be good. It could be cool, but I got to go here. Cause I, based on topography, I think these are the places to be. Yeah. yeah right. That's accurate. Okay. So we are, we're scooting along. We're going to check out our points, um, our spots. So walk me through what, what that looks like for you when you get to a spot, or maybe we focus on the, on like a general idea of what you get to when you get to a spot. And then specifically, let's talk about what you were looking at in the spot where you killed this, where you killed this buck. Yeah. Um, so once I actually get to, to the, the public piece that I'm intending on scouting for the day is I have everything prepped with me beforehand. I bring, like, I have a full, a backpack full of gear of everything that I will need, including my sticks I'll bring into the woods. Like my favorite thing in the world is I got some long handled clippers that are like, it's a certain brand and they're real tight, which is important because if you get 90% of them, they're like this wide angle, catch mm-hmm. everything in your backpack as you're walking out. You got some long handled, handled clippers um, for like, for example, like invasive species of buckthorn. Some of it is like literally impenetrable. Uh, at that point, that's when I would use clippers. Um, otherwise, you know, we're on public land here, but um, yep. anyways, I, I bring all this stuff with me in preparation for um, ideally I'm going to find spots to set up and I only set up the ones that, you know, ring true to what I was looking for, but 
I'll go into this, like this for this one, for example, I got there that day and a lot of it was open hardwoods of, it was like a mixture of maple and oak. And the, the understory there was just, it was too, it was too open everywhere. You know, I just kept going at a consistent rate. I probably, I think I skipped the first couple of pins or places that I wanted to see. And I ended up getting into the river bottom and finding a lot of sign. And then when it comes to that, I was trying to relate it to where I thought these deer were most likely bedded from a topography standpoint. And I, I walk past a lot of sign, but at the same time, I'm, I'm stopping at almost all of this. And it's kind of annoying to do at that time, but I'll stop at pretty much all the significant points of interest. And I'll pin that out on my Onyx and, you know, I label them and everything. So I know exactly what it was at that time. And it's kind of annoying to do while you're out there trying to, you know, you're enjoying yourself in the woods, but you're always pulling your phone out of your pocket. Yeah. Um, but looking back on that, I think that's really solid to do. Like I'm pinning scrapes, beds, rubs, tri like significant trails. And uh, so I dropped down in this bottom and I finally found all the sign that I was looking for, but it was a little more open than I had faith of there being deer in. And I kept moving around or walking these edges of the the river bottom in the direction of my next pin and uh ended up finally finding some thick cover that i had faith in deer actually being in um compared to the rest of everything being a open hardwoods and it happened to be in a really good topography feature as well so you know i had multiple things working for me in that fashion and then i was um i scaled the ridge the edge of the ridge uh, say that bluff was about 400 feet tall. I scaled the top third of it. Um, you know, the, the cruising zone for, for most bucks in the rut and whatnot, but I ended up finding a lot of beds and, and big historical rubs, like huge historical rubs. That's, that's the main reason I went back there at the time I did, um, was the significance of the sign. I, I believe that there was something huge in there. Um, so what I ended up doing then is pinning all that out and finding where I thought was, it was in this situation, it was like the only spot that looked really good. Cause I just walked through a ton of stuff that I wouldn't go back to, you know? Right. And the, the main reason that other stuff wasn't good is just, it was so open. It was too open or there was, there was, I, I look for sign of people as well. Garbage, you know, crap, whatever. I, I try to get a ways off the beaten path most of the time. And that's not always the case, but most of the time that's kind of a rule of thumb. And uh, in this case, crossing a river. So, and okay. then once I got to that point where I felt like it was remote and these, these deer weren't being bothered or at the time of the season when I'd be coming back, then I, I slow it down and start paying attention. Okay. How do you, how do you know what time of season you're coming back? Um, I'd be interested to know your opinion on this as well, because I started paying attention to this a bit more in just the recent years and it's, it's treated me well. I've, I've noticed, I think it's, uh, you know, if like we, like we were saying, you know, stacking your odds, like knowledge is power in this situation. And 
what do you hold weight to, to then better your odds at that time of the season, you know, and in this case, I've started personally paying more attention to uh, rubs, like uh, concentrations of rubs and, and assuming that to be the rut or the, the pre-rut, like after, after the scrape week, you know, sometime beginning in November and I pay attention or I have been paying more attention to rubs and relating that, especially if it's in a pinch point or a funnel and, uh, or, a, or a betting point, if I'm trying to hunt, hunt in a betting area, but this one, it turned out to be, and then, you know, obviously during October and whatnot, I'll hold more weight to the scrapes, but another hard part to this, that, that I would tell you is to, once you get boots on the ground and I drop down into this bottom, man, I'm looking at 20, 30, 40 scrapes, seriously. And you're trying to, you're trying to decipher what's the scrape I need to be sitting on top of. That's an art. That's not, that's not that easy. Yeah. But you know, if, if you're, uh, relating it to betting was huge in this situation. And then the size of the scrape and knowing that it had good security cover. Um, and it was like the first place because it, it ended up being right at the base of a ridge below, you know, when I said I was scouting the top third where I thought these bucks were bedded, I was just at the base of the ridge, right where it started to plateau flat at the bottom. And, uh, I related once I found that sign in those beds up there, I related it to them dropping down right into the bottom before dark and hunting it like late October. Cause, cause I was looking at all these scrapes in there and it was good and thick. And I found this one that I, it was big. It was really big. The branch was all tore up. It was a straight shot down for them and it was pretty thick cover. And then there was a drainage there as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> Maybe I've been doing a lot of talking too. <laughs> no worries, man. I mean, I'm enjoying this. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Um, so on top of it being at the bottom, there was a couple of transitions. Once we, once we get to talking about how the, you know, the actual um, forest comes together there, there was maples and then uh, well, it was a maple flat and then there's oaks up on the ridge that kind of split together and then it dropped off to a swamp that was like thick tag alders. So there was at least three transitions that all met right there. And um, this this was definitely if, if we went up to it and looked at this scrape, you'd understand what I'm saying. But um, I just had the most faith that that was going to be the primary come and, and the, you know, the most busy scrape that I saw according to the spring sign and the location of it. So I pinned that out to be a spot that I would want to hunt and, uh, or, or where the primary scrape was. And at the time I actually didn't pick out a tree. Usually I'll have my sticks with me though. And some, some cord, some cable, um, to be tying branches back and I'll climb up all the way to the height of where I intend on hunting because, I want to be able to, I want to know that I have these lanes in there come October. So a lot of my stand prep is actually in the spring and um, I'm just trying to be as prepared as I can coming into the, you know, game time. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So 
Um, so, I mean, what I'm hearing, my question was, how do you know when you're coming back? And what I'm hearing is based on the sign you found that dictated the time frame that you're coming back. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. When you thought it would yeah. be the best to hunt. So, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, you got, you got the beds up top that you've, that you've were, were up on top of that Ridge and top third, you found those beds straight down. There's a scrape down below or there's a ton of scrapes down below, but straight down there's that, there's that primary scrape mm-hmm. from there. Like based on all the information that you just described, you're like, this is probably a pretty good spot that I should return to. Like, this is definitely a yeah. hub. Um, you know, it's far back from people. There's a lot of cover around. There's a transition for topography, you know, uh, an elevation change. There's also a vegetation change. There's scrapes, there's beds. Like mm-hmm. this is a good all the mm-hmm. indicators say that this is a good spot. And yeah. then, and, and, and like you said, it's, it, there's less people there. That's the hardest thing that I have to, um, to contend with when I'm hunting the public around my house is how can I beat other people to these deer, you know, mm-hmm. in a, in a way that like, if you're hunting some, if you're hunting a scrape like that, I'm sure you're not the only person who knows that scrape exists. I'm sure there's other people who know that that's there. Um, but at the same time, like yeah, funny story on that. Okay. Let me recap this real quick. Cause I'm still, I'm still pissed about it. I left two cameras there, man. After I killed that buck that day and growing up in Northern Minnesota, I left my cameras everywhere, all over. Nobody bothered me. There was no problem in Northern Minnesota with my trail cameras. And then I come down South where there is more hunters and you know, the, the land is, you know, you only got so much to work with and people are always, I came back this year and both my SD cards are gone and these were in like primo spots that I would want to, I was leaving them there for a reason. And uh, yeah, I've I've learned you got to play the game of hanging them way high and hidden out of the way. And there's nothing like more inferior, like you're like, I don't get mad about a lot in life mm-hmm. I, I get agree. irate like <laughs> just irate uh, <laughs> when someone like to the point where i hope i see that guy in the woods so i can beat his ass <laughs> like like i yes. you, know, you just it start envisioning how like uh-huh. walked in on him and he's taking your cards like yes what like i mean there's just so many like evil thoughts that come into your mind about what yeah. you're gonna do to this guy if you catch him <laughs> You know, that's like, that's, that's the truth. Everyone who's ever had an SD card stolen from them. And it's not, everybody says the same shit. I don't care that you stole it. Give me the goddamn pictures. Yes. Yes. That's what everyone says. Like, I just want the data. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So frustrating though, man. I let that, I let that, I had a sour taste in my mouth for like half the day when I tried to scout that piece, when I found that the cards are gone and then i had to like reel myself back in and be like okay you need to you know we're here to scout and figure this out not be pissed about your sd card it's ruined a few of my days for sure Mm. um unacceptable yeah yeah exactly so like one of one of my thoughts is um like with scrapes so like obviously so obviously someone else knows that scrape exists and that area exists and they're maybe they're trying to keep it to themselves maybe they know there's bigger bucks in there and they don't want you to know, or maybe they have no idea and they just stumbled upon it and said, Ooh, look at an SD card. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, there's a lot of reasons that that could happen, but bottom line, someone else was there. 
So next year, when you get there, one of the things I always think about is, all right, so when is the, when are these scrapes most likely to open? Like, like a community scrape is year round, but when are they like most likely to really be hit? And, and in, in your scenario, like I talked to Jake Bush a while back, he throws a camera on that scrape, like a scrape like that. He'll throw a camera on that in August. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, and, and he'll usually he'll, like on a scrape like that, he'll usually throw a cell cam because then he can, if on a, on a community or a lar- very large scrape like that, you'll get good bucks that use that in September and early October. And mm-hmm. the, 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 the pattern on them and hitting that might not be, might be once a week. It might be once every couple of days. Um, and the pattern in mid to late October might pick up. They might hit it every day. They might hit it every other day or something like that. And so you, your, your odds can go up in that late October timeframe. Um, but they also can be there in the early season. So, so my, my thought there is like, when I come across that, I go, how early can I hunt this and be successful without buggering it, buggering it up. Right. So that's one of the things that always crosses my mind. And usually for me, I, uh, like I've had consistent luck over the last six years, like really running trail cameras, pretty heavy on scrapes. I've had consistent luck of catching good deer on scrapes between October 20th and 25th. Um, and that's in my area and in, in like kind of Southern Wisconsin. So, um, with that in mind, that's usually when I will start hunting those scrapes is that first the first chance I can on a, on a good cold front between the 20th and 25th, that's when I'm going to hunt those. Um, and that's when I'm getting in there because almost every hunter out there, not all, I shouldn't, that's a very large exaggeration. There are a ton of hunters who start hunting on Halloween. Mm -hmm. Like that's when they start. That is their, like they, they, they'll hunt opening weekend and then they won't hunt again until Halloween. And then they'll hunt you know, the first two to three weeks in November and hunt pretty hard. And that's when the parking lots fill up. But other than that, like there's a lot of people who do not hunt that October 20th to the 25th timeframe. And you can get in there and I've got pictures of great deer. And I've had a couple opportunities at good deer in that earlier timeframe than, uh, than even during the rut. So that's one thing I always think about, but overall you, you earlier, you had said like, my opinion on those, those big rubs, I don't, I don't put a lot of stock in rubs per se, like in terms of hunting a, it depends on where they are because I've hunted a couple swamps where there are no, I never found any scrapes, but I found like rub clusters, which to me is like, the when they don't have the ability to scrape because it's you know super wet it's not going to hold the scent or anything like that then they will create these rub clusters on like poplar trees and you'll see you know 30 poplar trees that are all 10 feet tall and every single one of them has a rub on it like Mm. then i really relate to rubs in that scenario um but other than that you know if, if if you're on a point or something like that and you get a few good rubs up there I think it's important to note because that, that what's more important to me to note is the absence of rubs. If there are not rubs, then it's probably not like that great of a spot. But if there are rubs, that means, okay, yeah, there's, there's deer here for sure. But when, 
when and what time of year is, is difficult to tell. It's obviously after, you know, like September, mid September, because that's when they get hard horned, but it could be right away. It could be in December. It could be in November. That's the hard part. Whereas like scrapes are much more well-defined on when they're most likely to, to visit those right late October, mid to late October. Um, but I, I would like the fact that you found beds, scrapes and rubs and transitions and elevation changes, vegetation changes, like that all comes together. Um, what about food in that area? You mentioned there were oaks up at the top. Was there any other like large egg or other food that you really noticed or keyed in on? Yeah, so there's actually, there's a ton of uh, agricultural fields down that, down in that area. Um, the only thing that a lot of the times, like the only thing that isn't agricultural down there is the elevation changes in the bottoms, the, the big steep hills and the bottoms are the only thing that aren't cultivated. Okay. Um, and even a lot of the bottoms are so long as it's dry enough, like it's, uh, sure. th there's food everywhere, but um, yeah, let me back up real quick. When we were talking about time relation sign related to timing, I would take, cause like this one that I'm talking about in Southern Minnesota, I shot that on, it was October 20th. Okay. But, uh, yeah, but my experience hunting like Northern Minnesota and, and a ways further North than you is I've seen a lot of the best for the scrapes is like the 25th of October until about Halloween is what i've seen maybe sure. the say the 24th until right the 30th 24 yeah. to 30th but this one was an exception to that uh the the weather played a big role in it but um yeah so in this case it was sitting over a scrape and you knew i i was assuming where he was betting and he ended up coming right down off that ridge like i was hoping but uh i went in there you you want to hear out actually? <laughs> you want to yeah, hear out well, actually? Not yet, not yet. Hold on to that thought, okay? Because the next thing I want to so you, so you get this like you find this good spot, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, all right, this looks great. I like this. This is awesome. I'm gonna drop a pin here. Um, and you did not pick a tree, so you're so you're just dropped a pin and moved on, um, which is something that I I certainly recommend, and obviously you do too. Like pick a tree right then and there. Um, mm -hmm. at least like pick two or mm -hmm. figure out like you could pick two for a north wind or a south wind and then base it east and west kind of on the fly but uh but in in general or pick figure out the only sometimes these spots there's only one way you can hunt them i have to have an east wind because i'm entering from the west and i need the wind in my face or something like that and then it just is what it is and that's the tree you have to pick um yeah. So, but anyway, you, you, you get this area, you get it, you get it pinned out and then you, you keep going, I assume, right. You keep going to these other key points that you're going on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So walk me through that. Like, did you find any other sign that you liked? Did you not find anything? Walk me through the rest of that day. Yeah, it, that was the, the major point of interest. And a lot of the times that's how it plays out. If I pick five, six, or seven, I only end up with one or two that were worth setting up because I'm really looking for places that I would rate, you know, an eight out of 10, nine out of 10, 10 out of 10, 
if it's not at least an 80% spot to me, I, I just, I note it of what I saw there for sign, but keep going. And sometimes it plays out. Like I go look at in all this land, you know, that I map scouted beforehand, I'll go to all seven spots and none of them really trip my trigger. And I just walked six, seven miles, but in total, you know, when I'm zigzagging and, and, Right. You know, a lot of the, te- yeah. a lot of the times there's only certain points you can even drop down in these ridges because it's like a straight up and down bluff. So your trail gets distorted pretty quickly down there, but, um, no, that's, yeah, that's one of the things I think, um, that I just want to point out and something everyone has time for right now is don't get stuck. Even if you're like, dude, I can hunt 2000 acres. Don't get stuck on that 2000 acres, go look at other, cause you might, you might pick 2000 acres because it's the biggest piece and gives you the biggest mobility, but down the road, there might be a hundred acre piece. That's a better huntable piece for you. Right. Mm-hmm. So don't get stuck on a single piece. Like Alex has said multiple times, um, he's, he's covering multiple pieces in the spring, multiple 2000 acre pieces, 1000 acre pieces. And, and in those pieces, he's finding a couple a couple good spots that he likes like mm-hmm. that's that's very very, very picky yeah but that's that's also when you have that much ground to cover and you're doing a lot of this public land stuff you can be because you know what would you rather do have 2000 acres and hunt a bunch of stands that are four out of tens or five out of tens or be able to pick from eight out of tens that are you know all on different pieces and you have 10 to 15 sites that are all eight out of tens like I would mm-hmm. rather always hunt the eight out of tens on those 10 to 15 different locations than one location where they're all four or five out of tens. Like they're all, mm-hmm. you know, not that great. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it comes back to, to, we all have limited time. So put the time in now so that you don't have to put as much time in the fall wasting sits. Like not that, not that you are wasting sits, but at this, like, that's how I feel sometimes. Like if I haven't scouted properly and I'm hunting a spot because I just, I don't know what's there. I feel, sometimes I feel like, man, I wish I would have got out here in the spring and, and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, I would know what's going on here a lot better than what I do now, you know, because especially bow hunting, you know, 30 yards makes a big difference when you're in a tree. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you would yeah. have gone out there in the spring and found the trails and found the highly used trails and found the pinch points and stuff like that versus going out in the fall, because that's something that I always run into. Like if I'm hunting a new spot in the fall, I'm like, okay, do I go another 50 yards or is this where I set up? Do I mm-hmm. push in another hundred yards deeper or do I stay a little bit on this outside? Am I deep enough? Mm-hmm. Right? Am I in the thick cover or is there more thicker cover up ahead of me? And I always, or is the bedding up ahead of me and I'm, I'm right in the perfect spot. I just don't know it. Like there's all these thoughts that go through my mind about where I need to set up. And if I just would have spring scouted it, I would know this is Mm. the spot I need to go to. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Yeah. I'm hardly ever good. Well, I lied in on the private land. I (laughs) thinking about it on the private land this year, I did a lot of first time hanging hunts just because the way the land was there, I didn't have to trim much out and there were a bunch of branchless trees. So it it made it easy for me to be able to just bounce around on this one piece. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of the, most of the times I'm only hunting places I've already scouted and prepped uh, a vast majority of the time. Got it. To to some extent, you know, if it was in this case, one day of spring scouting 
and my bad, but I guess I got a little ahead of myself, but uh, to elaborate slightly more on once I go to the spot and I determine this is a place I need to set up. Cause like I said, I only pick out maybe one or two of those in a day. Hopefully, hopefully it plays out that way that I get that many in a day of spring scouting. Cause I'm very picky about it. But once it comes to that point, I will zigzag and cross and go back and forth and up and down. Once I find the area to find the tree or to find the spot and also have it in your head to understand how these, these deer and whatnot are moving through this area, like really getting a grasp of how everything's playing out. I'll zigzag and walk one little area for a while, man. till till I have complete faith that I, that this is where I need to be. And this is why I need to be there. So, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, dude, I, I agree. Do it when you have the time and it doesn't matter if you bump them and it doesn't matter if you leave your scent around, it doesn't matter you know, what you're up to out there because there's, you know, there's nothing there. The, my biggest fear in the woods when I'm scouting in the, or when I'm like scout hunting in the fall is that I get to a really good spot and I bump a nice buck out. Cause I pushed in too far and I didn't understand where I was mm. like mm-hmm. where, where they could have been betting. Maybe I thought they were betting hundred yards away and actually they're only betting 30 yards away, you know, yeah. and I'm getting too tight, you know, so I need to back out, whatever. But yeah, no, I, I agree. Do your, take your time, zigzag, everything, follow all the deer trails in the area. You know, Jake, Jake Bush said that on an earlier podcast as well. Um, he likes to like, when he finds those bedding areas, those ridges, he will hop on the trails and walk out. Like if there's four or five trails coming in or out of those bedding areas, he'll walk them all out, you know, Mm -hmm. and just, and see where they go. That way, you know, like if a deer, like, okay, you know, here's the primary trail that goes to this scrape, but there's also a trail like 20 yards away that kind of wraps around and goes to it. How can I shoot both these or how Mm -hmm. can I make sure that they don't sneak up around me behind me and catch my wind. Right. And that's always good to know too. Um, and maybe walking out of these, by the way, I, I pin down, I'll turn my maps on, I'll turn my tracker on, on my onyx. And what I've, what I found to be the sneakiest way to get back in there is when it's completely daylight out, have your tracker on and take a route out that you're looking at in daylight to miss all the branches and the down trees. You're taking your most efficient and quiet trail out. And then I'll come when I'm coming back to hunt this the next fall, I'm following that tracker in my trail Mm. to the, to the stand. It's just much wider. That's a good tip, man. That's a really good tip. Yeah. Go out. Yeah. When you, when you pick a spot, go out the way you intend on coming back in. Yep. Cause you know, you're always bumbling around a little bit to some extent with a flashlight. Yeah. You just can't really see how it's all laid out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and it always looks different. Like it looks, mm-hmm, especially, if, especially if you find a spot that you like early season, you know, mm-hmm. and you find it in the spring and you come back and you're like, Holy crap, this looks totally different. You know, yeah. having yeah. that faith that you're going on the right trail in the right direction is always good. Okay. So, um, so we, we have our spring scouting done and we, we found that spot of interest. Um, did you find two on that piece or just the one, or was that like the only one that you really had a lot of faith in? Mm, At the time that there was only one that really stood out to me, um, for that time. And cause it just, cause it's what I would call the primary. And it was very close to where I think they were betting because they just had to drop down off the ridge. 
you know, sure. it wasn't out in the rut funnel or, you know, a long ways off of where I thought they had to travel to. I thought he can, he can get to me in less than five minutes of crawling out of that bed if he wanted to. So. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes sense. Um, okay. So with, so you have that in mind you scout that spot one day, you drop your pin, you head home or you head to another spot, whatever. Um, mid October rolls around or early October rolls around. How do you, how do you go about the process of, of picking to hunt this spot and when to hunt it? Um, for stuff like that, you going back to like, for example, what Jake does with the cell cam, you just, you can't utilize that in this situation or in a lot of the good spots that I find down there because they're in bottoms and you just don't have any sort of cell service. If, if I find a good spot up on the ridge top, you're, you're good to go. But a lot of them, the, the cell camera just does, isn't going to work down there. Sure. So um, what I like to do is run soaker cams. I'll go there in August as well and let it run. I've done this in like for, for a few years now, I've ran them down there throughout the whole season and, you know, August to December, I'd say, and picked them up on spots that I, that I thought looked good, had good potential, were probably, you know, like an eight or so. I would leave a soaker cam there all year and then just pick it up in December and relate that if it turned out to be good. And a lot of them do. It's just specific times when they heat up. So I'll, in those cases, I'll be able to use that for, uh, you know, seasons to come because they really heat up in certain areas on certain like three or four day increments where they're real hot sure. is what I've seen. And when you, when you build up that repertoire, that's, you know, just time invested to then be able to take advantage of it in the future. But I don't, I don't really have an answer for you on, on when it's way back in the timber like that places that you can't glass places that you, you're, you just can't observe. Um, I would just go with your best odds, even though sometimes I've, left cameras down there and they were actually the best like the first four days of October compared to even during the rut in one spot gotcha kind of unique how that plays out but yeah yeah no that, I mean it's all it's all different man and that's why that's like experience experience and time like you know you hear people say like this spot's really good in early October and this spot's really bad in late October, even though it seems good, it's not good, you know, and that's experience and time. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, but you did say, so you were probably, you killed that other buck in, in Wisconsin earlier on. Um, so probably spending a little bit of time there. And then, you know, I guess what made you go to, to this spot on October 20th was you might had mentioned weather before, but why, why not one of the other spots that you've picked out? Um, what was going on that day? And I'll, I'll say by the way, that that's part of the reason that I think I had the more efficient success this year too, compared to my 48 to one in 2020 is my, I transitioned to a different career and it allows me to, you know, manipulate my schedule. And I only hunted the best weather days this year. That was like, I think one of the biggest additions to my to my season was being able to hunt the fronts before and after I had more success 
with the before than the after this year. The day before the fronts were were real good to me. But uh, anyways, with this one on October 20th, it, it the temp was progressively dropping all day with the pressure going up. And it was raining off and on, just a decent drizzle for an hour on, hour off. And uh, I went in there in the evening uh, because after dark, the temp was going to drop like 15 degrees. So it was a, just a steady drop and then it fell out hard after dark. So I thought it'd be a real good evening set. And I drove down there. I mean, this is a two hour drive for me one way to hunt this spot. So you got to, that's why once again, it's got to be, you got to have faith in it to be driving right. two hours for an evening sit. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to sit in a half ass spot with all that time invested. Yeah, um, that's fair. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, on this day, it was, it was raining good, but it was just setting up nicely to be a, a solid evening hunt. And when I went in there, it was, uh, I was intending on going to set up right on that scrape. And I had from the, if you walk in the straight line that I trailed out, it was like a mile and a half from my SUV. And, uh, I got out there in the afternoon and as soon as I dropped in the bottom again, I'm still like 300 yards from this primary, but I drop in this bottom again on October 20th and it was tore up. There was sign everywhere. There was scrapes, fresh scrapes everywhere. But once again, like relate them to where you think they're actually at and how close can I get to them to yeah. hopefully they're going to be in daylight. Right. And they're not nocturnal scrapes. Mm -hmm. So I cut through what was kind of cool about this one is, and you know what, this, this answers your question, this, it, it, cause it happened to me in this situation. I walked right by this. You can see this outcropping in the bottom. There was like, there's all tall swale grass and there's this outcropping a thick cover that makes a point in the bottom, but it was in the flat. It was in the long flat. And I walked right by the spot in the spring, but my direction to get in there, this, um, this fall when I went in was a little bit different. I looped around to cut into the wind, the way the wind was working in there. I wanted to loop around it. So I changed my trail a little bit and I ended up walking through this real thick, dense cover. And I walked into this like Holy grail wide open. It was just a natural opening and very thick cover. And there's like three scrapes, huge scrapes in there and a couple of fresh rubs, like the rubs were still scheming. It looks so good, man. And I had my, my mobile set right on my back. I'm like, oh my God, I'm 300 yards short of this thing. And look at how good this looks. And I picked out a tree right there and I totally would have set it up. But thinking about it, as I walked in, I was just trying to get to my spot. I was scouting my way in, but I wasn't sneaking. I wasn't really tiptoeing. Like for the last 150 yards of a place that I intend on getting to, man, I slow it so far down. I am just Elmer Fudd creeping into that thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. In this case, I felt like I had a little bit of error with my access coming into it. So that's the only reason I did not set up there. Otherwise, I would have for sure. Like I was kicking myself for walking as, or, you know, walking through there like I did because I thought mm -hmm. I'd lost an opportunity there. It looks so good. And I pinned well, that. Have, and yeah, the camera you might have pushed, pushed deer out of there. 
Yeah, exactly. That that's exactly what I thought because it, it was so thick in there. I, they could have been right next to me and I would have never known it. Right. But uh, yeah, so in that case, I hung a cam right there and uh, I got some great intel for another guy to steal my SD card. <laughs> Uh, oh man that's hate awesome. that but anyways i i looped way around in this spot and uh i walked with the wind in my face coming down this edge and circled into the scrape super slow but as i was scouting in there man i i was looking for the sign that i saw last year and there was a ton of half-hearted scrapes on this edge i was walking and i wasn't seeing them but i was seeing some rubs and whatnot but it wasn't as tore up as I, as I originally thought, you know, and walking yeah. in there that day because it, it rained all day, the, all the leaves on the ground from the precipitation, it was silent, super easy to sneak through. Right. Sure. And I walked in and I was getting a little nervous. I was like 150 yards and then hundred yards and then coming up on that scrape. And I wasn't seeing the sign that I was looking for after I just walked through all that good stuff. And then all of a sudden I come up to the scrape that I, that I pinned out to set up on and it was tore wide open. It was huge. I was like, awesome. Yes. yes. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Because walking up to it, man, there, it wasn't nearly as nearly as hot as it looked in the spring. The one was, it's what I needed. That was the one. Oh so, yeah. So tell me about, yeah, let's talk about your setup and, and walking up to it, quote unquote, are you like literally walking two steps from it, one step from it? Or are you walking up to it to like 20 yards? Like, Ooh, I can see it. It is wide open. I'm trying to stay as I'm trying to see it as far back as I can possibly see it. Like I'm glassing it. Okay. I'm looking for it in, with my binoculars on my way up to it because you can't walk, you can't walk up to it and then backtrack. You just shot yourself in the foot there. You need to like every step you take, you cannot look back and set up on that because that, that opportunity has gone in my, right. in my opinion, you know, yeah, that's, so I'm trying yeah. to, that's what I was trying to get at earlier. That's why like, I hate going forward 20 yards and then realizing that I walked past the right spot mm -hmm. and then you have to go back and now you feel like you burned it, mm -hmm. you know, in a way. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not always true. Cause I've had opportunities where bucks are literally standing in my tracks from where I was like, that's not a hundred percent the case, but it's just a it's a feeling. It's a confidence thing. Yeah. You know? It's that's very wonky to me because I've seen the opposite of what you, what you'd expect. I've seen really big bucks walk right over my, my foot traffic coming in. And then I've seen on this same situation, like a year and a half old buck, a little spike walk up to that, smell it and turn around and he's out of there. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That was in, that was in one day. They, you know, um, I got like an hour apart. I got a little example of that. <laughs> wow. So I don't know okay. what to say about it. So, okay. So you're walking, so you're walking up on this spot on the, on the scrape. Um, how far are you when you, when you take a look at it through like your binos or whatever? I picked it out probably 35, 40 yards ahead of me. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So then are you, so then where, so you see it. You're like, all right, awesome. It's open. Um, mm -hmm. and now how are you setting up? Like, where are you going? What are you doing? Um, in that case, it was the decision was kind of made for me because all the maples in that flat were like three foot in diameter. I couldn't even get my my aiders or my climbing sticks around it. 
So I went to like the one option I had that was within shooting range of this scrape. And it was about a 12 to 14 inch diameter maple tree with a few branches once you get up there, but very minimal cover Pretty was naked. my, yeah. And it was about, it was only like a 12 to 15 yard shot to the scrape. Okay. And I, uh, I climbed this tree and faced my stand pretty much straight away from the scrape or I quartered it just slightly so you could lean around the tree and shoot. Yep. But I just used the tree as cover. And uh, that's a hot tip for everybody mm-hmm. listening. That has saved me a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Use the tree as your cover. If you don't have cover face yep. your stand the opposite direction of where you think the deer are. And then just during prime time, you're standing for an hour, right? You're just, when, when you're in there, you're standing up like this is what it is, but it's going to save you. It can really help. Yeah. It's less, less than ideal to be, you know, always looking over your shoulder for this sit, but you got to have some sort of cover, you know, or some, something to hide behind when this thing's coming in. And mm-hmm. that's exactly how it shook out because in this situation, I was only two sticks high, but I have, I made custom aiders that I use. And with the two sticks, I can get about 10 to 12 feet up. And that's okay. all I used in this set was two sticks. So I was somewhere, somewhere in that range. And uh, yeah, it, <laughs> I, I was sitting in there. It just felt really good after, after everything I just walked through and then, you know, coming up on this thing being wide open. I just had a lot of faith in how the evening was playing out right. and the thermals were pulling down the hill. It was perfect um, for him to drop down with them. And like, it was a full hour before dark. And uh, what saved me coming in, sneaking in there with the wet ground, it worked against me when this thing came in because these, these trees are huge down in that bottom across. And this thing walks straight up behind one of them. And he Houdini popped her out around this damn maple tree at 30 yards walking straight at me. And I'm only 10 foot up this little tree. And this big buck just pops out around the tree at a, at a considerable rate. He's walking right at me. Just Ugh. startled the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Enough, I, I forgot to turn the Tacticam on. Dude, it's, it's wild how, how quiet deer can be just in general even during like a dry a dry day you know Mm. the amount of times that they just like appear out of nowhere everybody's had that had had that happen to them it's just like holy shit how did he get there yes yep yeah anyway they're they're sneaky yep so he comes in 30 yards he's walking right to you yeah i had to pivot around grab my bowl quick and get ready and he walked into I'd say it was more like 12 yards to that scrape. And as soon as he picked his head up into that branch, I shot him. Nice. All right. And then, you know, obviously ran off, recovered him. Always good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's nice. A nice, a nice 12 yarder. That's a tough one. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me ask you this because usually I have a process of operation for almost everything I do out there, but this one caught me in a bind because I hadn't thought of it. I haven't, I hadn't thought of it before and had the issue, but when I went to draw on this buck, I, I'm able to like be calm, cool, and collected when it comes down to executing, I guess, just good under pressure. 
And I remember because I shot him a little further back than I would have wanted to. And he went, it took us longer to find him ultimately. Um, he went like 200 yards and I thought he went like 80. But uh, when they're within 12 yards, I was, I didn't rush the shot and I knew I was solid on it. I didn't pull out of it or anything. But when your site housing is completely full of hair, completely full of deer, you don't have a reference when it's, you know, when it gets to a certain distance from you. And I put it on him and I think I just got a little bit lost in the, the mass of brown. Yeah. And I shot him a little further back. But thinking of it in the future, I don't know what your opinion is, but I'll, when I get in that situation again, I'm going to run this, the pin up his leg, you know, run it have because then you have some sort of direction underneath them go right behind up his leg you know and yeah. once you get center mass on that shoot because you're going to be left to right accurate you know for right. vitals yeah i don't have any i don't have any uh advice for you there i'm sorry mm -hmm. the only thing <laughs> that i have done that's really helped me and it helped me a ton with target panic too was buying i bought a multiple 3d deer so mm -hmm. and and i just like brown out i don't have like a, a target like i mean you get the rings on the reinhardts so like i bought multiple 3d reinhardts and um and i'd set them at you know 15 or 25 25 seems to be like my bugaboo number like if a deer comes in at 25 yards like i don't have good odds of killing that deer for whatever reason <laughs> really? i've missed yeah i've missed two at 25 like it just for whatever freaking reason, you know, and I'll go and I'll throw the target out and I'll shoot at 25 and I'll just, I'll, I'll crush it. And then all of a sudden, like they come in at 25 and for whatever reason, I can't hit them. Um, but, uh, but like, that's, that's something that I have found very helpful, um, in, in like just killing deer in general is not shooting at a square target with, with circles on it, shoot mm -hmm. at a 3d target put time yeah. in a 3d target, spend the 120, the $150, because those are all Brown too. And, mm -hmm. and especially if you're having target panic, like shooting at a, at a deer versus a, a small circle on a target can be extremely helpful because it'll give you more and more confidence when you're, when you're drawn back and you're just picking a spot behind the shoulder and you're, and you're pulling it off and you're like, okay, cool. You know, I didn't hit the one inch circle, but I did hit, you know, the six inch lung. Like I'm good with, like, I'm good with punching lungs all day. Right. I'm going to try it for that heart lung shot, but I'm, I'm good with punching lungs all day. So if you're, if you're having target panic or, or that might be one of the issues, maybe get a 3d and throw it at eight yards and see what the hell happens. Cause I understand exactly what you mean. You're looking through your peep, all three of your pins are all like in it, you know, and you're like, okay, I'm in it. It's right there. What am I doing? Like, um, you know, and let it rip one of the other things so i shoot 0.001 pins that has been very helpful versus regular sites come with standard site 19. pin is 0 0.003 so they're oh, a little really? bit fatter um so the 0.001s kind of run along the line of aim small miss small smaller pin smaller spot to put it less cloud in your in your site window and your site housing um you just get a little bit, I think you get a little bit more out of it and I like it a little bit more. And then one of the other things I have noticed that I have a terrible time with red pins. Um, 
just, uh, I don't know what's wrong with my eyes in that sense. So mm -hmm. all my pins are green um, and I can see better with green. So that helps me a lot because um, when I'm putting them on a brown body, it seems to work better for me um, for whatever mm -hmm. reason. I, I would imagine green or blue, maybe blue would be even better because then you're not, that's not like a natural color you're finding in the woods or anything like that. So yeah, that's, uh, that's what I do. And I, I can't help you with that, but, um, at least you recovered, you know, mm -hmm. even though you hit it a little bit further back, maybe you picked up liver or whatever, um, and, and knocked him down at 200. I shot one this year that I pulled out of and he went 300 and died, um, or like 250, something like that. I can't remember the exact numbers, 250, 300. He died exactly where I thought he was going to. He took off. He, he, went through one bedding area where I thought he was going to die. And then, um, and then he went through the other, he was at like 16 yards. And by the time I shot the Luminoc was through him and in the snow, like I didn't get to see anything. Like I pulled yeah. the trigger and it was, it was buried in the snow. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like, I don't even know where I hit him. I think I hit him, you know, in at least liver, if not better, but he ran away a little awkward. The blood wasn't that great. I was all frozen. So it was stuck on the snow. Like I couldn't tell bubbles. It was, it was just an odd scenario. So I was like, so I called a couple of blood trackers. They said, you know what, just probably leave them overnight. You know, that's your best odds right now. Just leave them overnight. It's zero degrees out. You'll be fine for the meat and everything and go find them in the morning. So I did that and found them in the morning and he was like three quarters gone from the coyotes. Coyotes picked up. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It was uh yeah, it was a tough, it was a really tough. I explained it on a previous pod podcast, but yeah, it was a really tough and really annoying hunt. Um, it's yeah. Like I couldn't, you couldn't recover anything. Like they literally mm. like you, like the spine was clean. Like that's how good they had this thing up. So the spine mm. from the neck all the way through to the back legs was cleaned up. There were no guts left. There was, I mean, everything was, his back legs were gone um, one front shoulder was completely gone. One other front shoulder was bit into all that was left was a portion of the neck and the head. It was ridiculous. Um, I've never seen, like I've, I've had coyotes gnaw on them, you know, and maybe pick up in the guts or maybe open up the, the butt mm -hmm. or something like that on you, but I've never had them do this. Yeah. So this is just a, a note to self, but anyway, yeah, I back to your original question on, uh, uh, on putting them on when they're that close. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's one of the, it's, it's kind of like a, a gift and a curse. It's a double-edged sword. All your pins are on them. So especially if he's got no <laughs> defining like spots or features or a crease line that you can really hone in on. Mm -hmm. That's the, the only thing you can do is, is pick a spot. You know, you can do the all, you put the pins on them. And then you're like, is that right? Then you, you know, you move your head back and you and you recheck, you know, you pull uh -huh. off your peep site. Look, yeah, yep, that is right. Okay, boom. And then you let it rain. But yeah, but that's awesome, man. Um, so overall, um, you know, the, the the hunt turned out great. That was the first sit in there. First sit's the best sit. That's cool. And one day of scouting um revealed that. So like the one day of scouting allowed you to find the spot. You checked seven, eight, seven, eight spots. It sounds like you picked one that you really liked. That was the one with the most sign, the best transitions, uh, vegetation and elevation signs in terms of beds, in terms of um, 
scrapes in terms of rubs when you found those beds up top were there like did you notice like specific buck beds or were you just like man there's a bunch of beds up here um i would call them buck beds because they were in very they're in very advantageous spots for the deer he could see from that from this one individual bed there was a nice like for whatever reason either it's uh there'll be trees that grow up like some of these bigger trees when they grow up in that steep side of the hill they'll compile dirt on the back side of the trees and it makes a flat point in the hill compared to a very steep edge a lot of times you'll see deer individual beds up on those um in this case the one i saw was was in the ravine it was like two very steep ditches came together and he was sitting right at the head of the ditch on a flat point behind a cedar and he had this damn cedar i'm not saying the buck i shot is the one that made this sign that's that's not what i'm proclaiming here but the deer that made this the deer that that bedded in this one little head of the ditch with the cedar as his backdrop that cedar tree was like bigger than the maple i climbed up in for sure (laughs) like a 14 15 inch diameter cedar tree that he had just mauled up there you know okay yeah yeah stuff like that it's like well i need to come back here (laughs) yeah oh for sure and that's that's a that's a classic or a standard characteristic of a buck bed right Mm -hmm. got that got that going on um a, a bed with a rub right on it so yeah, I mean, you had all those, all those pieces come together in one spot, mark that up, didn't waste time on spots that were half-assed or didn't look that great. Mm-hmm. And then come back in October when you thought that scrape based on it, based on you wanting to hunt a scrape, you thought a late October time frame would be the best time to hunt it. So come back in October um, on a great day, a drizzly day, good weather day, and you sit it and you kill. And that's awesome. That's cool, dude. That is really cool. Um, let me, we, I think we covered everything I wanted to. Good. Yeah. Every stuck in the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's like, that encompasses every, all, all the tips that I have and all the, the thoughts that I have around spring scouting, scouting beds, scouting trails, food sources, other hunters, the exact location for your setup, which you admittedly said you didn't do, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Entry and exit routes. You track that entry exit route out. So you could track that same entry route in. And then you needed to adjust for the wind. Uh, the next thing I had is wind. Like you need to plan out wind direction. Early season, predominant winds are typically out of the South because you got warm air coming North. So a lot of that wind is out of the South. So if you're hunting some early season, you're typically planning for a South wind. If you're hunting something, something mid, mid to late season, you're typically planning for a North wind because the wind's coming out of the North. You bring that cold weather down. And then the last thing that I wanted to cover was time of year and how you pick it. And that's exactly what you said, you know, so it all works out. Um, if you find the thing that I'd like to like to talk about is just real quick, um, is if you do find sign Um, and you're trying to relate it, like you find a bed, but you don't find a lot of scrapes and you find some good food sources, or maybe you find a secluded, you know, patch of acorns or something like that. Like that can lead you down the route of hunting early season. 
if you find some good sign and you go back there in the fall and they're just releasing a lot there, but there was sign there, maybe that's a late season spot. You know, so there's different times, there's different things that that everybody can take away from from spring scouting, and you need to judge that on the fly. Do you think this is an early season spot? Do you think this is a mid to late mid mid spot to rut, or do you think this is a late season spot? And those are all different in the sign that you that you provide uh, that is provided to you um, is what determines that. And scrapes are one of the easiest things that I, that, that a lot of hunters key in on because they're the window of them being very popular by the deer is like 10 to 15 days. Right. Mm -hmm. So really, if you get good weather, if you can find good scrapes and you get good weather during that 10 to 15 days and you can get some time off of work or time off of life and family, you can get in there. And, and a lot of times you can be successful in that time frame based on mm -hmm. scrapes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's all, that's all I wanted. That's all I wanted to cover. You nailed it, man. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to throw out there? Anything that you thought was really interesting or unique or people can learn from, from this hunt? Um, I don't know, man, but I think we covered most of it, but I would say that what you can't factor in, in the spring scouting is the the significance of the weather to dictate your, your outcome. I think a lot of people and myself included, how many times do you potentially go into a good spot during the season? Like you just read everything, right? You just did it all right. But you, uh, and I understand you got to work around the schedule that's that, that you have, but hunting those premium weather days um, to, to dictate your outcome. Like what if you just, Cause I'm sure this, like I said, this happens to everyone. You walk in and you were set up in the right spot and the big buck was right up on the ridge, but he just never dropped down. It was 70 degrees out. You sat there the whole time until dark or you see him right before dark never makes it to you. Um, it's just trying to make that percentage that much better. High percentage sits as much as you can. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. That is very fair. And in the last podcast or two podcasts ago, I think I, we called it, I think I called it negotiating, negotiating time to hunt or something. Um, mm -hmm. We talked about tactics in there to get that flex work schedule, even if like, that's not how your company wants to do it. You're right. <laughs> right. You got You got to find ways to get it. Even if it's not how they're like, they're like, Nope, you gotta, you gotta mark off all your, all your days, you know, six months in advance. And mm -hmm. I have a, I have a friend who's a police officer and he's like, dude, it's so hard to do this stuff. Cause I have to mark all of my days off, like pretty much January and February. I have to schedule my days. Cause they're going to schedule my work hours for the rest of the year, like tomorrow. And I have to put all this stuff in. And the only other way for me to get out is to like trade with somebody else. And then I owe them favors and, like, that's not, that's not, he's like, I don't like doing that because then mm. you know, I'm working some third shift bullshit <laughs> because yeah. I owe them a favor, you know, I, but at the same time, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, yeah, I, I understand, but how, uh, how much does it mean to you to hunt that flexible weather time? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. That's the other, that's exactly. the other question. Or maybe, man, yeah. 
So we talk about a bunch of stuff on that negotiating time podcast. <laughs> so flip back to that. If, if you have questions on that, um, that is, well, you don't, you don't need to, you got, you, you got a, you got a nice gig. You already have your time negotiated. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, all right. Thanks for hopping on Alex. I, I really appreciate it, man. Um, where can people find you if they want to hit you up, ask you some questions, see this deer, yada, yada, yada. Uh, like you said in the beginning, I have links to my other stuff from there, but just check out my Instagram being deer underscore development. And uh, that is what I got. Okay, perfect. Hey, curious. I, I thought about this while we were talking. You said that deer netted, this deer netted 125. What did he actually score? Uh, like 128. Or oh, okay. So just change. Really? Yeah, it was very, very symmetrical. Okay. His, maybe it's just the camera angle. He looks a little bit more lopsided, like his right side's a lot bigger than his left, but that's probably just the camera mm. angle. So Yeah, it was the camera angle. It was, it was real symmetrical, actually. One okay. beam was just a little bit longer than the other. And then uh, uh, the three was shorter on one side. All right. Okay. That makes sense. It was close. Yeah. You can see all the rain on him too. Like he's mm -hmm. been in the weather, but yeah, it was awesome. When we, when we got back in that bottom to take those pictures, when we found him, it was absolutely pouring rain, which also added to the issue of tracking him because everything was washed away by the time we got back down there. Oh shit. Yeah. 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 That's a tough mm -hmm. one. Yep. Oh man. All right. Well, hey, man, thank you for popping on. Everybody appreciate yeah. you guys listening. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe. Please, please listen. Please recommend it to your buddies, your friends, people you don't even care about just so that they can listen to the podcast. I'd appreciate that. And especially if you'd leave a review, that would very much help me out as well. I appreciate everybody listening. Thank you for your time. I know you have a lot of other things you could be doing with it, but uh, I appreciate you spending here. And we'll catch you next time. See ya.